Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we're going to be chatting with Rami Alajil. He's the author of the Amazon bestseller, People Processes. And I think it's pretty obvious straight away why I wanted Ali on the summit. Uh, the book is one of Inc.com's top 10 leadership books in 2018, and it has the word process in the title. So that's a dead giveaway. It's all too often that small businesses they miss the part of people management when it comes to getting processes down in that particular department in the business. I think, but the fact is people function better when they know what their role is, what's expected of them, how they can excel in their role. And there's a whole range of different processes that surround effectively managing a team like this. And that's really what Rami and his wife do through their business, Poplar Financial, they help business owners prioritize their people and get them to really deliver to the highest potential. So without further ado, let me welcome Rami to the summit. I'm excited to be here. Thank Fantastic. you. So Rami, I know we're going to cover your people processes that help to scale an organization and there's a lot to cover there. So maybe to start, if we can just start off by addressing some of the challenges and problems that you see this particular system solves, and then we can kind of go through your process in a bit more of a step-by-step. Sure. I think a lot of businesses, I think there are many failure points along the business journey. Some people fail in like that step one, which is have a decent product and be good at your job, right? Some people, they're going to be a bookkeeper and they don't know how to do books. They're going to be an auto mechanic and they've decided they're going to be an auto mechanic and they've never actually worked on a car. But that's step one. We got to get that part done okay. first, right? Have a product, don't suck at it. <laughs> and then you have to differentiate your product a little bit. You got to make sure that it's something people want, that you sell it at a better price or that it's a little different. Step two, have a better product or a different one at least. Step three, this is where people really start failing, and most companies never make this jump, but it's make processes, right? It's scale mm. through labor. So at its most basic, this is the e-myth revisited. This is business 101. You need to design your business in such a way that new labor can come in, follow your written set of instructions, put a lot of time and effort into making sure those instructions are good recipes to make your pie, to process your books, to fix your cars. Scale. I thought that was the end of it. That was as far as I got. And I said I had a business where I see people running into problems as they do all that and their business works. New clients are rolling in. They're adding new product lines. They're making lots of money. And something new is happening every day that doesn't have a process. Not only every day, but like every hour, there's something that only the business owner, no matter how many processes you've thought about in the past, can do. And that's where people processes come in. People processes are the systems and organi- systems, tools, processes around turning employees from people who are enthusiastic to work from you, for you to people who follow your processes to people who can create new processes on the fly, can make decisions in a trusted and correct manner, just like you would if you were out of town unavailable. Most companies 
never make the switch from having a decent product to having processes mm -hmm. to scale that product. Even fewer make it from we have processes for our product to we have processes that make people that deliver our product, right? Yeah. It's that one step back further. And that's where I see it come up. And it's a really interesting one because a lot of it has to do with around the way that you build culture within the organization and having a, a systems-based culture. And whenever you talk about culture for a lot of people, it's hard to nail down what to is culture yeah. for some people. It's kind of like, yeah. Yeah, okay, does that mean we put bean bags in one room and have lunch in another? <laughs> right. So it's, it's a tough one. And I think that's why the way that you're approaching it is so unique because you're thinking about it in terms of a process. Right. Culture is, you're exactly right. Is it bean bags and naps? Is it a pet friendly dog place? Is it, you know, making sure you can take time off for your kids? And there's a lot of things that are culture, but culture really is a set of morals that guide decision making. And those can be imparted in a systematic way. If you can set that, for example, in my company, we deal with HR a lot, right? So there are often conflicts between our labor and our billings because we don't bill by the hour, we build a subscription. So there's a choice to be made when a client is abusing our system to the degree that they're paying 200 bucks a month and they want 40 hours a week of, of labor one-on-one -on -one in support for like a year. Obviously, it's not going to work. Culture is actually the moral system behind how to make choices that don't have a process. So you can impart that culture in a lot of ways. When you're a small company, you probably do it by having the guys over to your house and having a couple beers. You've hired some new people. You're going to hang out. You're going to go to dinner together. You're going to have parties. And they're going to learn over time what it is you really care about. And a lot of business one-on-one -on -one is actually kind of figuring out what that is for you. But as you scale, you need ways to impart those overarching truisms, those truths, those morals, as I call them. So that you don't have to tell an employee, follow this process specifically. If the process doesn't work, if you're looking at something and it's not making sense, I want you to go back to, in the end, we have 400 clients. In 10 years, we've lost three clients. Our clients don't leave us. So number one is make sure the client is happy. And number two, on average, every one of our clients refers us once a year. So mm -hmm. those are our two primary objectives for growth and success. If we lose money hand over fist on this client for six months or hell for two years, I'd prefer that over one or two going away. And a lot of businesses wouldn't prefer that. And there was a time in my business where I didn't think that was the right choice. Employees can't make those decisions. They have to have that code imparted to them. And if you make it explicit and you actually state it as part of a process, like welcome to the company, guess what? We have a couple rules here. These are the guiding principles. You'll find that people can start making decisions without you that you would have made yourself. Mm. And it's, I think when you phrase it like that, it almost makes intuitive sense because a lot of people, when they're sold on the idea of systems, they create systems. One of the first systems people do is create a system for onboarding new clients. And what you're talking about is a system for onboarding staff and setting expectations. So if, I was going to say, maybe. I'd love to kind of go through how you install this and that process for a company that's just doesn't really have much of these processes in place. I think it's a lot. You gave a great analogy. When you bring on a new client, you have a system for onboarding them. That's where you start. That's where you're setting expectations, laying out a timeline, 
letting the client know what you're going to be doing, what they're going to be doing. It's all very similar steps to follow for your internal employees. But for some reason, even though you may only have five employees as a small company, you're going to put significantly more effort into designing a system to bring on a new client than you are to bring on a new employee. Even though a new employee is a 20% expansion, right? Put some time into this thing. The actual nuts and bolts of it, it gets in depth. I have, I have a book, as you mentioned, that kind of mm-hmm. goes into that. But for some highlights, I start normally by looking at the onboarding process. And during onboarding, you want to see how the employee is going to interact with, we have seven systems laid out that make up your people processes. Some of them are very intuitive, like timekeeping and payroll. Employees are going to interact with how they clock their hours and bill people. If you're an accounting firm or whatever, you you wind up having to bill people, but how they clock in and out, how they request time off, and then how do they get paid? That's two of the seven systems. Two other systems that are really important during onboarding are benefits and compensation. So how much are they going to be paid? What sort of benefits do they get for working for you? What are some of the benefits they can avail themselves of in the future? This is imparting your explicit care about the employee. So whether you have a a very inexpensive benefits package or a very expensive benefits package is irrelevant, how you communicate why you do what you do for your employees is going to have a significant impact in what they think about your company and how they treat your clients. So they're interacting with with your benefits and communications, uh, I'm sorry, uh, benefits and compensation system. The final piece is like we talked about, cultural communications. Cultural communications are the morals of the company, why the company exists, What are the guiding ideas behind our company, why their department exists in their department, how their job itself is important, what it should do, what the goal of the job is beyond just getting paperwork done. What is the goal? What does success look like? The nuts and bolts of how to actually communicate that vary depending on the company. In our company at Poplar Financial, that's what we actually do is we provide systems for this, but there's a hundred different ways to do it. You can do it with YouTube videos and a a checklist on an email. But in general, it's very similar to this. You want to start by having the founder of the company sit down and articulate a vision for the company and a why and what their guiding principles are. It's a two-minute video. Record it on your cell phone. Pop it on YouTube. Make it easy to start with. You don't need a video crew. Then do the same thing for whoever is the head of whatever department they're going to work in. If you're a five-man company, there may be a senior person. That's going to be your other person. And work your way down until you get to their direct manager. Whoever has People reporting to them needs a video. Two minutes on a cell phone. Who are you? What do you do at the company? Why is it important? And what is the new employee for their job description? What are they going to do? And what's important? It doesn't have to have their name in it. It doesn't have to be specific. It just has to be about that job and why it's important. And in 15 minutes from them starting this stuff, they're going to have a better understanding of what the job is, what the overarching guiding decision-making principles are than many people who've worked in many companies for six months. Now, you have to make sure what you're saying is true. Don't don't impart a culture that you hope to have if you're not going to actually support it. So if if the number one thing in your organization is efficiency, it's a reasonable thing to have a business around, impart that, not in-depth customer love, right? You don't want to talk about their dogs and their kids. You just want to get the thing done. You get to decide that as the business owner. Make it explicit up front, and you're going to have people who rise to that every time. So this, uh, if we really clearly spell it out as far as step one being designing the 
onboarding process for your staff when they get started and it would include that message from the founder, the owner and the key team members. You also have some other areas as well addressing the day-to-days when it comes to how they're clocking in and out and then the employee benefits and things like that and then package it up in a way that makes sense for your business whether that's delivered through a project management software or an email or whatever tools you're using but the key is to have that and touch on those key areas are there any other things from an onboarding process that you find key well there's a lot of pieces to onboarding of course you you touched on some of the timekeeping payroll you talked a little bit about uh, we talked about cultural communications and benefits there's compliance. You do need to make sure that you're doing things legally. So you probably have some legal documents that need to be signed. Most people, when they think about onboarding, that's all they think about. We need to get the, the pieces of paper signed. That's part of it. So there's one of it, uh, a piece of it. Uh, you also want to think about scheduling. A lot of times that's a big part. How are they going to work? How do they request time off? Uh, mix over to that as benefits like maternity and those kind of things. There's a lot of pieces to it. Here's the key point that I want to make, though have a goal for onboarding. And the goal is to take someone who's enthusiastic to start at your company to being moderately effective at their job with some ability to make decisions without a process. That's your onboarding goal. Put in the steps you can think about. Again, my book, or we can talk more about other steps you can put in. You can put in hundreds. I literally have a client that has 600 individual tasks in their onboarding. And it's all broken out by if you're in this job, you go up this tree with these 16 different steps. You see these different videos. If you're in this job, you see a totally different one. It can be as complex as you want it to be. But for now, make it a process. Actually do it and put it in place live in the field with your employees. And the difference, this is the key. There are so many HR things about leadership, about culture, where you're just figuring out what to do. but If you don't put it in with the idea that this is a process you go through and you're going to continually work on, it won't get you anywhere. So if you put it in place as an email with a list of YouTube videos and links to some Word documents in your employee handbook, it's a start. Put a calendar event in one month for two hours to make an improvement on that process. One change and see what happens. That's going to give you so much more growth and scale over time than any one idea from an HR consultant. It's about having a process in place because processes are the only things you can really improve over time. No matter what you learn here in the summit, if you don't put it in place with the idea of improving it over time, when are you going to review it? How is it going to get improved and and what success look like? Those are the pieces that I think people forget about with their HR functions all the time. They think that there's some magic checklist and they're good to go. It's not. It's put a checklist in place and then review it every month and you're going to skyrocket forward. Just like if you were doing client onboarding or billing or anything inside your company. It's not about having a stagnant piece of instruction. It's about having a process by which you improve it over time. That's people processes, having a list and improving it. One point particularly to do with The systems side of things, I find when people start thinking about systemizing their business, one thing that often comes up is even if I had systems and processes in place, my team wouldn't follow them anyway. And I always say, if you're going to get any resistance, it might be from existing team members. But when new team members come on board, if you have the right process in place and it sets the expectation right up front and this is the way that we do things here, 
you don't get any resistance to that. So that's why I, f- I feel like this piece is key. And we embed, and obviously we're a little bit, we love systems and processes. So it's part of our core right. values and what we always look for the systems solution. Right. Uh, you would never have, if an employee was in a situation where there wasn't a process, you wouldn't want them to just fix it. You would want them to fix it and create a new scalable process, right? That's something you tell your people on day one, I bet. Always look for the system solution. Right. And that's a cultural item for you. That's what you do. Some companies are going to say, no matter what, I don't care if it's a one-off thing, do the thing that doesn't scale. That can be a culture. Yeah. Right? I have a I have a client, and I swear, this her employees just always drive out to clients' houses to take things to them for reasons unknown to me. It's more expensive. It's silly. It can't be scaled. It doesn't work for the people who aren't local. But she says that's what makes her business different. Mm. That's her culture. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So as we start to think, if the, if the step one is getting the onboarding right, and, and mm-hmm. we're probably taking some high-level concepts from the book, what are some of the other key concepts for installing these people processes in a business? Yeah, so I break the employee, we call them the employee lifecycle stages, into four broad stages. Onboarding is a key component. The second one that I like to draw people's attention to immediately thereafter, because they're often in the same system, is offboarding. Every employee goes through it at some point or another. So just as you have a plan to bring someone on and a system to do it that you can look at over time and see what improves, you need a system at the end of an employee's life cycle. So that's offboarding. There are things in between, and we'll get to those in a second, of course, but these two are often in the same platform. The same platform that you hire someone in is often the same platform you terminate somebody in. The thing that keeps track of your projects or however you manage this, if you're using our platform, it's right under the add employee buttons, the terminate employee button, and it starts a workflow. You need a process for letting someone go. And just like with onboarding, you had a goal that was beyond getting pieces of paper figured, filled out, you need an offboarding goal that's similar. Offboarding has probably three primary things you can accomplish. Just like on onboarding, there's a compliance aspect. Don't get sued. All right, step one, don't get sued. Got it. What does that mean? It's different for every industry. You may need certain documents filled out. You may need to issue checks, whatever. You need a don't get sued process. But that's the tip of the iceberg. Step two, learn something for God's sakes. This is it. This is the end of the life cycle. This is your best opportunity to figure out what you did wrong in the other three stages. And you did do something wrong. You either did something wrong in managing the employee, in managing your client base, your business, or in recruiting in the first place. If you have 10 employees and one employee leaves you to go work at a competitor, that should be just as shocking to you as if you had 10 clients and one of your clients left to go work at a competitor. Also, just like when clients leave, it's never the guy you want to leave who leaves. It's never the client. It's never that client at the bottom rung that nothing make you any money who's like, I'm leaving you for your competitor. No, it's never that guy. He doesn't have any options. It's the same with your employees. Your offboarding system should be kept in mind that this is often going to be used in the case of your best employee leaving. So step one, don't get sued. Step two, learn what you can. We normally do that through an exit interview process. That may mean interviewing the employee himself, their manager, people who worked with him, his coworkers, his clients. If he had direct interaction, find out what you can. 
And three, and this is probably the one that people forget about the most, is a communications plan. And it should communicate your benefits and compensation, the systems that you have to interact with, like timekeeping and payroll and those pieces, and your culture. If from day one you've said our employees are like family, we love our people, when someone comes to you and quits, or heck, screws up enough you have to fire them, that's not the time to forget that your employees are like family. Make your culture consistent across. You need to communicate with the employee who is departing, whether they're leaving you or you're leaving them. You need to communicate with his coworkers or her coworkers how the work is now going to be shifted. What are the pieces of uh, how, how are we going to make sure everybody gets to go home and see their families, even though we're down a person on the team. And you need to communicate with your clients proactively about what happened and why that person's gone and what the plan is to put it in. This sounds like something you couldn't systematize, but it totally is. It's super easy. On the terminate, there needs to be a workflow. One goes to their manager, you know, and the manager, and it's rate the employee, schedule a meeting with the CEO to talk with me about why this guy left. Request from the employee a meeting. For, for the communications pieces, have templates. You could write out right now when you're not thinking about anybody, you can write out a, I had to fire this idiot because he was an idiot letter that you're going to send your clients. You can write a Jack went his own way to start his own Etsy store, making funny ice sculptures. That's what he's going to do now. He's pursuing his passions. We're happy to, you know, we're going to support him through the rest of his life. You know, we, lo we love him. You can write all these very broadly. Obviously, they're going to need a little touch up. But just spending an hour right now where you have no real pressure on you to do it means when this happens, boom, you're going to be in such a better position. So that's offboarding. Talked about onboarding. There's more to both, but these are some good steps. With regards to offboarding, and I'm assuming it probably goes underneath the communication step as well. As you mentioned, there's probably a lot of sub-steps in there. That would probably also cover things around, let's say, access and changing of emails and reassigning work and all those sorts of things. Correct. So uh, it depends on your type of company. Yeah. But yeah, you need workflow steps. As simple as you can to start with, because every job's going to have a different flow out. So to start with, make, make step one, don't get sued. Make sure you get your legal paperwork signed. Step two is reassign, assess workload and reassign. Okay. And then step three is going into your communications and the other pieces. You're exactly right. Make it broad though. Over time, you'll become more detailed. You'll know that your frontline employees, here's a process by which we reassign these things. You'll get into the operations processes on how that works. But on the people side of it, you just need a placeholder that says do it. And it's going to get you a long way to not forgetting to do that. Yeah. If you have integrated platforms like what we use when, we, when we're, our system is one where when you terminate somebody, everything from email access to time clocks to generated auto emails, uh, project management, all that can be integrated in many different ways. So you can absolutely make an awesome system that's automated. And you should one day. If you got five employees, though, and you only fire one person every 10 years, maybe not spend all day programming uh, API integrations. Yes. The good thing, a lot of what you're talking about is uh, sound advice that could be applied across really just the making of any systems or processes. Your view there on, hey, we don't need to over-systemize and over-document things that don't need to be. Again, another very common problem that I see people do when they, they get bitten by the systems bug is they start... Right you know, systemizing everything down to minute detail when, you know, Sally's been with you for 10 years and she's the only person doing the payroll and high level steps make sense. 
to make sure you capture it if she did move on or it needs to be reassigned. But, you you know, even the person that you rehire is going to have some level of skills. So you don't right. need to tell them where to click in MYOB and hit file. Or right, right. Whatever the case uh, you, can, you can go as in-depth as you want, but just remember your return on investment. People ask me all the time, well, like, when should we hire you? When should you bring in, you know, someone to actually build out a system like this? And, and it varies for every company. But if you're only hiring one person a year, you need to do a really good job hiring that one person. But at the same time, you probably can't just boil that down to a one-page system. You're not going to have a monthly compensation review for your three employees, you're going to know if your wife, sister, and cousin, who are your only employees, are going to leave you. Like It's just a different world. So what I tell people is as you start growing, you'll start seeing the need for this stuff. You don't need me to tell you that it's time. If you've got in the back of your head, oh my God, I'm getting legal notices from states. I've got employees coming on who I think are pretty good guys, but I don't really know they wouldn't sue me if they heard the right commercial. Like when you start feeling that way, that's when you, I mean, preferably a few months before that is when you need to start pulling, pulling in some, putting some more time into the systemization and being more specific. And a good example of the one that you probably flagged earlier with the person with the 600 steps, that would work fantastically well in a larger organization where you've got people coming into different roles and you, you want different trees for customized exactly. experiences. And, and since they're bringing on, they have 8,500 locations, that company. Yes. Yep. They're bringing on so many people every month that having a person with a video crew and a, and a process engineer lay out what should be done for this one type of job description is worth it. They're hiring 400 people that, that way this year. Let's make sure, you know, it's worth putting the time in. If you're hiring 40 people across your whole company this year, you may have three tracks, one for entry level, one for someone who has some managerial responsibilities and one for C-level people. Maybe when you have 400, you have five or six, right? You start building out additional tracks and going into more depth on each one of your processes. The other thing is, though, when you start putting these in place, your return on investment is so high to your internal people because a lot of companies, by the time they get to their fifth or tenth employee, they put tons of effort into systematizing their operations, their sales, their marketing, their actual delivery of their product, and put very little time internally that just putting a little bit of effort in, a little bit of either time or money or both into these systems will deliver outsized results. It's kind of like that company that grew by word of mouth for 10 years, which means like bringing on a client or two a year or something. And then suddenly they realize, hey, you know, for four grand a month, I can market and it would, and it blows up. It's very similar. Just a little bit of investment internally will give you an outsized result. Yeah. So it's good. There are these four areas we're moving through. We've gone through the onboarding, the offboarding, and what's number three now? Yeah. So number three is your annual review. So annual review is a process that is misnamed, and I don't know a better name for it. I'm totally open. Send us messages. Annual review is what the world calls it. That's where you go in and once a year, your boss looks over your work and says, you did a good job, 3% raise for you. That annual review process. It's also, oftentimes, there are two annual reviews somehow. There's your performance review, and then there's your benefits renewal, where at the performance review, you get a 4% raise, and then at your benefits renewal, your insurance goes up 20%, and you made no money that year, right? 
they're really the same thing. It's the same budget. It's the same dollars from your employer. It's just kind of split up by a lot of companies because of legacy systems. What I think of as annual review is that once a year session where your benefits are updated, your pay is updated at least once a year. And, and this is the key, it's not performance review. This is why I call it an annual review. If you don't know how well your employee is doing at their job, but once a year, you have bigger problems than systems. You, you probably know every week when your employee is doing a decent job or not. The purpose of the annual review lifecycle event is to align the goals of the organization with the employees. It's a broad topic. Your employees have goals. They have goals in their life. They may or may not include working for your company until they die. I'll give you a hint. If they're under 50, they probably are not planning on staying with you forever. It's just reality. So annual review is about figuring out what their goals are and what your goals are as an organization and how the two meet. If you are wanting to grow your organization in a certain way, you see this person growing into this role, you need to present that to the employee and find out if that fits their goal. Or if they're planning on really trying to cut down on work, it's pretty dang stressful around here, guys. This stresses me out. I'm, I, was, I mean, I'm fine with my current job, but God, I don't want more work. If you get that guy, you got to readjust. It may mean you don't need them, in which case that's good information. But a lot of times, you just need to figure out what their goals are, and you need to know what your goals are for their role or their individual job or their department. Communicate that down and see how they align. That's an annual process. I include in it compensation review because the choices on whether someone gets paid more or less or gets more PTO or less or they get a better match on their 401k or they get more money into their uh, benefits program. We separate them from pay salaries, from raises, some, for some reason in a lot of companies. But they're the same damn thing. They're how much money the guy takes home on his check, whether it's in dollars or in benefits. So I try to arrange this as a company-wide thing in our processes because it also allows the company to succinctly figure out their vision really have the planning sessions so they know what the company goals are. At the department level, do the same thing, figure out what the departmental goals are, and then present them to the whole company at around the same time. It takes a month, two months in a large organization. It may take you two days. It may take you two weeks. But you communicate that information, and you need to take into account that major medical went up 16% this year. If you're going to give someone a 5% raise and their benefits costs take up 10% more of their check, you didn't do anything. It doesn't yeah. matter. So I try to put all those together. A lot of times people, you're, you're, you're meeting up anyway for benefits renewal. So I put that all in one system, benefits and compensation uh, tied to goals, and let's communicate those in each direction. For a process for that, you actually need a process. Just like before, you need to actually have a scheduled time where your company sets broad goals you need to have a scheduled time where your departmental managers do the same, where individual teams do the same, and then they're communicated downward. You also need the exact same thing while you're figuring out what you want. You need to request that information, preferably in surveys, electronically without a bunch of paper floating around, from the employees. What are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? Maybe need to be done via interviews in the first year. Yeah. But you need a process for both. 
A couple of things that came out of um, when we installed this and it, it overcame a few challenges. When you're a small business owner, team members will come to you when they think they need a raise or, you know, they think they're doing a job and there's no formal structure. And then it sometimes for a lot of business owners, there's that awkward discussion around how much should someone have? And then oftentimes you'll find team members who may have been with the longest end up getting paid the most, even though they might not be in a senior team role, but rather right. they're with you the, the most. And as we started to implement this, it just, it gave everybody better structure. Team members knew when to expect a raise and what that expectation was, if they met or if they exceeded the, the KPIs and things that were set for them in the previous year, then they knew what the pay raise be, has or was scheduled to be. I agree with you, but I think you're thinking very much about performance. You do need a performance management system. That's show up on time, manage your KPIs, have your weekly one-on-one with your manager where you review the good things you did, the bad things you did, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the year, determine whether that's an exceeds expectations or a, all those different pieces. That's performance. And mm-hmm. it's a part of why people get compensation changes. And you do need a system for it, 100%. Performance reviews are a key component. They're actually one of, I was, we were, I was asking you, uh, you asked me to describe the seven systems a minute ago, which are about payroll cultural uh, compliance, uh, cultural communications, timekeeping, onboarding. One of those systems is, uh, is, is performance management. You need a way to figure out if people are doing a good job. But it shouldn't be a once-a-year thing. It should be more often than that, obviously. What I will say is that, to me, the annual review is the opportunity to get out of the weeds of performance and talk instead about goals. Mm. You will have many employees whose goal is to leave your company. If, if you're doing this right, the goal is, I want to be a graphic designer. I do not want to work here the rest of my life. I am happy to have my job. I like working with all you guys. My goal is to get the hell out of here. I hate it. I want to work from home. I never want to put on a suit again. This is what I want to do. And you need to have an environment where you can actually learn those goals and then decide how your organization is going to align with that. Because if you don't align with it, they're going to leave anyway. You're just not going to be prepared for it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Really good insight there. And I've not heard it quite articulated that way. I think your process mind is great at compartmentalizing at what points things need to be done and in what order. So that makes perfect sense. And then we move to the final. Yeah, the final is what we call ad hoc events. And it's the catch-all for all the other stuff you need. And these are normally very simple processes or systems or, you know, Word documents with a list. You need a plan for maternity leave. You need a plan for when someone changes what state they work in, when they get married or divorced, when they become, when they get promoted to a manager for the first time, if they have supervisory capabilities. You need a plan for these things that happen all the time, but Mm -hmm. you never can really predict when they're going to happen. You need an incident report. You need a way of actually documenting when someone screws up or when you need to investigate something. So an investigative report. And those are all listed in my book, but I can go like, those are probably the key ones. We call them demographic changes. That's getting married or getting divorced or having a child. Those are all really big changes in your employee's life. Have a plan for what that means to you. It may not mean much, but the number of small businesses I know that have no stated, any real written policy, but then when their employee gets married, the employee takes three weeks off work. And it's just like, oh, you got me. We're just going to let that happen. You can, 
But if you let it happen for the person you like, and then you don't let it happen for the one you don't, you're going to, depending on what country you're in, you're going to have a real bad week. So make a plan for these things. When your first employee is pregnant or their spouse is pregnant, you need a plan for maternity. These are often called policies. Some of them are things that go in your handbook. Some of them are just things you need to know and probably communicate as a benefit. Uh, what are your plans for when someone comes to you? This can be an internal process. and they want to leave. We talked about offboarding as a primary thing. What about someone who's just raising a major concern, right? Like, I love working here. You guys are all great. But we have this client, and every time we go out there, he slaps me on the butt and calls me Missy. And I just can't deal with it anymore. You need a plan for, like, in-depth investigations. Like, okay, when someone brings me stuff that's going to send somebody to jail, what do we do? You don't have to have a super in-depth one with a bunch of different forms and a 2A22, and, but have a plan. Have a place where you're going to store it. Have an idea of what you need to do. And spend the hour, spend an hour a week over the next couple months making a plan for all the crap that can come up, including your onboarding and offboarding. It's not a huge investment to get these basic pieces in place. And it will make a huge difference when one of those events come up. So ad hoc events, demographic changes, Changing states, like an employee who may want to not live as close as they do to you, that can have payroll ramifications, that can have operational ramifications. Incidents, investigations, promotions, how do we evaluate a promotion? Pay raises, off cycle, those kind of things. Uh, how do we congratulate people? So what is our kind of standard process for telling someone they did a good job? These sort of things are pretty easy to write down and make a process for and very easy to start executing on. If you don't actually make a process for them, though, you'll do it differently every time. When it comes up again in six months, you'll have forgotten how you did it. You'll do it a new way. And you're never going to be able to improve it systematically over time. So make a process. Start with a piece of paper. And then as these things come up, make them better and better. Don't feel limited by the process. It's a starting point. I know because we've gone through quite a few of the, the different systems people can start to deploy. I think the idea of just creating an empty shell for each one of these is a great starting point. Get a few yeah. bullet points down and evolve over time. In my book, the last third of it is a get, how to get started with this. And the first thing I do is write down the four life cycles, life cycle events, onboarding, offboarding, ad hoc events, and annual reviews. Define a goal for each one of those. Then write down, type up, please God, instead of writing, but whatever makes you happy what you do for each one of those and compare it to the goal and see how well you're doing. You're all smart people. You're running companies. As soon as you turn your brain towards, you know, the goal of offboarding is to not get sued, learn something that I can improve and reinforce the culture of my company to the remaining employees and my clients. Now, what do I have written down? Oh, hand them a Cobra notice and call it a day. You're going to see there's an immediate gap there. Yeah. So it'll be, and it'll be obvious to you. You know what? We really should have like six things. If you need ideas, heck, contact me. I'll be happy to, no charge, just spitball some ideas. So a ton of stuff in my book. There's fun stuff you can figure out and Google it. There's a list of 50 things you can do. It's not the ideas that matter. They're going to change. There's going to be new ones. It's about having the systems and processes in place. Yeah, perfect. Well, I think in the tail end here, the, the best thing to do, I, I definitely suggest people go out and get a copy of your book. That will be my next step. That's for sure. Sorry, I don't mean to plug it. I just, I just, no, no, no. Well, I've, yeah, I've yeah. heard it articulated like you do. You, you, you've got a, a very unique way of presenting 
this message of people through the lens of systems and being a systems person, I appreciate it more than most, but it's, it's definitely, I think the way that you've broken it down into what feels like a very actionable process, that's, that's a big win for people because it at least gets them started. So check out the book. We'll, We'll obviously link through to your website as where do you think the best way for people to find out more about what it is that you're doing and the work over at Poplar Financial? You can find us at Poplar Financial on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, all the social medias. Poplarfinancial.com is our corporate website. It's got the client logins. And the, we need to make it cooler. It's fine. It's a good website, but it's very corporate. Peopleprocesses.com is my baby. That's where my podcast is. I have new episodes every week. We interview awesome people. We talk about compliance updates. Subscribe on there to get started. You get some subscriber-only content, like an onboarding checklist. You're asking what steps should be in there. Well, I got 12 of them. There you go. Just subscribe on uh, peopleprocesses.com, and you'll get an email when I have a new interview on there. If you're in a position where where you're starting to think, you know what? We got 10, 20, 30, 50 employees. We want to turn inward, put a little investment and time into making these processes better, and you want a unified system you can manage it all on, pay, payroll, timekeeping, benefits, all the different pieces, retirement, in one login on an enterprise-level system, that's what Poplar Financial does and what I do as a day job. All night I get to talk about this fun stuff. I don't care if you do it on my platform, just do it. Perfect. Well, a big shout-out and thank you, Rami, for your, your generous information and advice. People, check it out. I'll make sure I link beneath the episode just here. And thank you again for your time. Excited to be here. Thank you so much. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now. 